Nick Vince here. I am so delighted to be joined by this week's guest, the beautifully talented Tracy Launt. I'm going to read this from her biography because I think it sums up Tracy perfectly. Tracy Lords is a true pop culture icon, trendsetter and feminist referent. She has worked with many of the great directors in independent cinema, such as John Waters, Kevin Smith, Greg Araki and Roger Corman, and with Hollywood stars such as Johnny Depp, Wesley Snipes and Seth Rogen. She made her mark in indie thrillers and horror films during the late 80s and 90s. Critics applauded her performances in Roger Corman's cult classic, Not of this earth, but it was her portrayal of bad girl Wanda Woodward in John Waters' Crybaby that earned her legions of female fans worldwide. Next up on the Chattering Hour, Tracy Lords. Tracy Lords is an actor, singer, clothing designer, New York Times best-selling author. As I say, she really is a true pop culture icon. In the show, I discuss with her some of her films, such as Not of This Earth, Blade, Excision, and a short film for which is getting an awful lot of buzz, A Tale of Two Sisters. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Nick. <laughs> How are you? I'm very well. Fancy seeing you at a place like this. <laughs> We're already, I'm sorry, folks. We've already started with the giggles. Um, so lovely to see you again. It's been at least a couple of years since we hung out together, I think. Uh, you know, I was trying to remember the last time I saw you and I couldn't, I can't remember. Was no. it, was it in Toronto? No, no, it'll no? be somewhere in the States. It, it was in some, it was somewhere in the States. But. Well, then it must have been like somewhere New Yorkish, outside yeah. of New York. Yeah, it was definitely, I remember it was at a con and Chris was there, Barbie Wilde was there. I, yeah. yeah. Some of them become, it sort of all becomes one big traveling bus ride, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I long for the traveling bus rides now. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're all missing that. I miss, I never thought I would admit I miss hotel corridors and the same I, yeah. art all the way down. Look, if, the, if you get art, you don't always get art. Anyway, I'm digressing well, already. The, the art yeah. comes into different forms, doesn't it? Yeah. It's usually yeah. at the cons, the art really is it's the people it's the fans oh the it's the insanity of whatever that stuff is oh, which yes. is i mean it's kept me fascinated what uh how long have i been doing cons have you how long have you been doing cons 20 years okay 20, so 22 yeah yeah i i think i did my first convention uh, sci-fi right around the time I was doing my sci-fi show first wave um, right. which was a series that Francis Ford Coppola was producing up in Canada right. and I remember that was right around the time I believe and so that must have been I want to say around 2000 2001 um, and I didn't do a lot of them um, yeah. but I, I did that was my first sort of adventure if you will and it's always an adventure oh into, yeah into like fans and these big comic cons and and that's where i met you so yep. all these many years later here we are and congratulations on the show thank i'm so happy much. to be here thank um, you thank you you know to this day um hellraiser is still one of the films that scares me the most like hands down so it's kind of a I'm glad it's daylight that we're having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and I've hidden all the stuff that's normally behind me for all, you know, all the things I've been speaking of fan art. <laughs> but that, that leads us nicely into my first question, which is, are you a genre fan? Do you like horror movies? Like, um, I'm fascinated with them. I watch them at certain times during the day. I am a huge horror film because I think it just, it comes along with the territory, if you will. Over the years, I've, I've become more and more of a horror film. I like, I wonder, would you call 
would you call well yeah of course you would psycho i would call it a classic horror film yeah. would you agree with that yeah absolutely I, I think people will argue oh because well there's no supernatural element but i think mm -hmm. there's a plenty of gore it's got the shock value it's got the edge of your seat stuff yeah so yeah. to me that's that's horror and it's a broad church i mean i Chris and I, when we were talking, this is Chris Rome, our, our producer, when we were talking about this, we said, okay, this is horror, this is suspense, this is thrillers. We can't, mm -hmm. you know, because that's a broad church, and I think it covers the similar experience of, oh, I'm not sure if I could look, but I've got to look. Mm -hmm. That kind of experience of, of watching it. Yeah, otherwise known as sheer terror. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. But and that is you in Hellraiser. Sheer terror. <laughs> Why, thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've learned how to respond to this question, this, this statement and this compliment over the years. Well, thank you. I'm glad we stayed here. <laughs> That's what we were trying. We wanted to intrigue and scare and, and interest. I Excite. Think. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about, you know, acting. Now, one of the, doing my research, you studied at the Lee Strasberg School, is that right? Yeah, in, way back in the day, 1980, I believe it was 1987. And it was Strasbourg Theatre Institute here in Los Angeles, not in right. New York. I would have loved to have been in New York, but I was in LA then. And right. it, that was a tremendous experience for me because I had no idea at all what I was doing. And there were some amazing uh, teachers there and students. And, and it was, I would say, possibly the most terrifying experience I've ever had because it's um, it was just really like being submerged fully with some really wonderful actors and it was intimidating, but it was amazing. Um, and then it was absolutely hilarious because right when I graduated from Strasbourg, I landed my first leading role in a sci-fi film and Roger Corman was doing the remake of the classic Not of This Earth and Jim Minorsky was uh, directing and producing it and he brought me in and that was like my first audition well no actually there was something right before then but that was my, my first big lead in the film that I auditioned for and what I'm getting at is all of this method acting and you know this very serious um uh, course that I had taken so my, from my studies at Strasbourg, I had to basically throw out the window and I realized that, you know, it, it, Strasbourg really taught me how to prepare as an actor because I had no idea how to do that, how to really break down a script and how to do all of those things. But then, you know, the method and acting and all of that is, uh, I had to really throw that away because it was hard to take um, that serious and put it on a set where I had a man in sunglasses chasing me around Griffith Park and I was supposed to believe that he was an alien. So it was a really, uh, it was a strange time in my life because I, I wanted very much to take acting seriously, but part of it I realized was throwing that away now. It was there. Um, so I had the tools to, to maybe emotionally get to where I needed to get in a scene. I knew how to break down a script, so it taught me a lot. It was really valuable in my time there. But it also taught me that with acting, you do your work, and then you have to throw it all away, and you have to be spontaneous, and you have to be present. And that was the hardest thing for me. That's interesting, because yeah, I think, I'm sure you've heard it before, you know, acting is truth. You have to find the truth of that situation whatever if it's the the guy dressed up in the rubber alien suit or yes. anything like that yes. yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely so you or. think that was that your most valuable lesson from studying at the Strasbourg Theatre Institute I would say that that was my most valuable lesson but I didn't know it until much much later I, I thought whatever I thought but you know being 18 or 19 years old we think whatever we think at that, at that age anyway. And it's usually, it's all in our little nucleus that is our bubble, that is our life. And it's all about us. And, and so now I look back on that time, but I look back with, um, with, with the humor, really. Um, because it, it was, I mean, that film, this has happened to me like several times now in my career, and perhaps to you as well, mm. where you do a movie and you really don't 
have an expectation of how it's going to be received and certainly not like, is, is it going to be um, a fan favorite or is it going to be iconic in some way or what's going to happen with this? We all have our expectations, but I, I think at that point, I really had no idea that not of this earth would become a fan favorite. Um, but it has. Uh, I, and I think that that's because it's just a fun romp. It has enough camp to it and it had enough suspense to it and people laughed with it. It wasn't, you know, this great masterpiece of cinema, nor was it supposed to be, but it was, you know, it was, it was entertaining and it was funny and it was, it, it had something about it. Yeah. Um, I think I remember when we were at drama school, going back to drama school for a moment, I remember one of the lessons we were taught was your first duty is to entertain. That's mm -hmm. what this business is about. You know, you've, wanna, <laughs> you've got, <laughs> it's Sam Wanamaker who said, you know, if you want to send a message, <laughs> use Western Union. But I think the first thing, you know, you have to entertain people and I, you know, and I'm a huge fan. You can't see because um, I've got my green screen out behind me. I've got Vincent Price pictures. I've got, you know, I'm a huge fan of Vincent Price and Roger Corman's films. Um, so yeah. yeah. Now, have you ever worked for Roger? No, no. I, I, <laughs> I very quick aside folks, I apologize for this. The only, the closest I ever got to Roger Corman was attending a question and answer at the British Film Institute in London with Roger Corman, um, because I had to be there. Now, this mm -hmm. was on the night that my first stage show as a playwright was opening. That's how much I love Roger Corman. Wow. I gave up my first night of any play that I've written on a London stage, just mm -hmm. so I could watch Roger Corman. I would love to have met the guy, love to have met the guy, love to meet the guy, because he looks, you know, his work is amazing as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to move us on to something, that another role which you're very much associated with, and that's in John Walters' Crybaby. Mm. And in fact, you've done two films with John Waters, Crybaby and Serial Mom. What was it like working with John Waters? John is an amazing person and he's an incredible director. And uh, I personally, I love him so very much. He, um, he's amazing to work with. He knows exactly what he wants. He has a real sense of humor. His sets are, you know, fun and refreshing and outrageous and all the things that you would expect. And um, it's a really special experience to work with John. In Serial Mom, I think I did, I had one little tiny scene, but I always say I would, I would do one line for John, John Waters if he asked me to, because he is, uh, you know, that, it, it's just always a, a, a really amazing experience. And Crybaby was no um, exception to that. It was an incredible time, both on screen and off screen. And it was, for me, a, a very coming of age film, if you will, because we were just, we were there in this hotel in Baltimore making this movie and there were you know, just really, um, it was just one big happy family in a way it was you know young Ricky Lake and uh young Johnny Depp and Iggy Pop and um Patricia Hurst and you know Susan Tyrell and Kim McGuire who played amazing actress who played Hatchet Face and we've lost a lot of those people now mm. so which is really it's it, it it's amazing you know that yeah. it's been yeah it's this is the 30th year this would have been the 30th. Well, it is April, I think. April was the 30th year anniversary of Crybaby, if you can believe that. Um, so, you know, this was supposed to be the big year uh, where we were doing, you know, the, the get together and sure. the, the um, reunited cast and at, at the different cons and the photo ops and the things and the fans were really excited. And that's really, for me, one of the heartbreaking things of the, the pandemic that that didn't happen. So many people are disappointed. I'm sure you've had mm -hmm. those experiences as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. But what I, I take great comfort from the fact that um, the Japanese, the Tokyo Olympics 
mm-hmm. although it's taking place next year, is still officially Tokyo 2020. So yes. I think everyone gets a do-over. You just, you know, we're just going to wipe this a year um, from our minds. And <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> the space-time continuum. And next year, it's all going to be, and you know, we, we get to take another year off our age, as far as I'm concerned, personally. I think that's awesome. I think maybe 10 that would be good because this pandemic has been rough. <laughs> you, you, you're not very, this is rough. <laughs> just suddenly reminded me very briefly, my best friend at Holly at drama school, she said, always added 10 years to her age. Always added 10 years because everyone always used to say how good she looked for her age. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, <laughs> makes perfect sense. So now something else that you did, um, and I'd not seen this before until I was researching this show, was you were in a Tales from the Crypt, um, and your performance just oozed the frustration of that housewife. Do you, which do you prefer? Do you prefer TV acting or film acting? What, what do you think about the? Is there a dichotomy? I don't know that there's much of a difference. I think more than anything, the difference is really the budget. If you're talking about a huge Hollywood film, that's a different experience than, um, than, uh, in other words, Mm. the one thing that I always loved about television, like we're talking about in the early 90s, mid 90s, Mm. is that the pace pace of it was wonderful. Plus, I think that for me, television was a fabulous way to really um, hone your craft because you're just going through, you know, the rigor of new scripts, constant um, dialogue changes every single day and you're working on the same character for nine months or something if you're on a series um which was my experience on profiler on on first wave where you you just you get to a place where from doing it so much that you're so you get such confidence and you get you really just well there's no other way to say you just get really sharp with what you're doing which is amazing so i think television in that way you know served me so well but the business has changed so much in the last few years so what i'm getting at is if you're doing a tiny independent film which it seems like there are a lot of those these days well Mm. not many right now but but if you're doing that it's the pace is much different if you're doing some extravagant like big budgeted hollywood film or you could say the same about television it's just a different world I think more than anything it's what is the project it's not so much you know are you a television actor or are you a film actor I don't think that exists anymore right right interesting very interesting and speaking of television something else you did in 1993 was the Tommy Knockers I did yeah what was that like did you what was that filming like because you were in New Zealand yes yeah they well first of all I'm a huge Stephen King fan right um, I love, you know, I've read like all of his books and I love Stephen King. And then when they were doing the Tommyknockers, um, I remember being really surprised when I got the script because it was so much different than the book, which happens a lot. Uh, but absolutely thrilled that Nancy Voss was the character I auditioned for, um, that she was, you know, she had a different spin in the, the miniseries. And um, they were shooting it in New Zealand for a variety of reasons, I, I believe, because it was the time of the year and the weather and like all of that. And I fell in love with New Zealand. I just think it, it was just it was amazing. Mm. I really loved it. And um, I loved working with Jimmy Smiths and Mark Helgenberger was in that one. And there were some incredible people. And Cliff Young played my my postal sort of co-worker lover in it. And and um, it was a kick. It was a really it was a lot of fun. What you said it was a lot of fun. What is the most, what is the most fun part of playing the really bad girl? Well, I think with villains, playing villains um, or bad girls, as you would say, or monsters, or as um, I call them, extraordinary creatures of something. <laughs> You have a lot of leeway to do things that you would never, ever, um, well, they wouldn't be happening in polite society. And so that is pretty fabulous. 
whether you're a superhero or um, during my, my time on First Wave, the sci-fi series that I, I referenced earlier, mm. uh, my character, Jordan Radcliffe, I played the, the leader of an underground army. So I was one part um, Linda Hamilton, like trained, like full on. But I also became possessed in the series by the alien Antichrist, Mabus. And that was amazing. Look at you. What? <laughs> yeah. And so I remember reading that and just thinking, I, I get possessed. This is, you know, and I, that was a very exciting thing as an actor to be not only possessed, but by the alien Antichrist that was Mabus. And so in it, I got to do like that fabulous, you just kind of have these fantasies as, as an actor to be able to turn a, on a dime. And, you know, my character Jordan was running and trying to take down the bad guys and, and looking for Mavis. They didn't know what it was yet. And, and then um, I got caught and, and my, my leading, um, my cohort, my leading man in it, he thought that, are you okay, Jordan? And I'm okay. And then she turns, I turn toward the camera and you see that it's the lights have changed to the eyes and Mavis is now inside of her. And so he did it so suddenly. Then Mavis just reeks all kind of, of hell on on everyone but just that one moment and she slowly just wheels him into her web it was pretty it was pretty fun it was great <laughs> so i got to scale buildings i got to fight the bad guys i always won um there are many times when i almost was killed but of course i was the lead so i never got to die never had to die and then i became the alien it was you know all in a day's work it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a fun, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a, just a fun, fun day's work. Um, speaking well, of... Well, you know, Nick, it's all been fun. Um, it's, it's when I think about um, you know, acting and I think about the gift, whether it's, you know, you're gifted because you're a painter or you're an artist or you're a singer or, you know, you're just anywhere in your life, um, when I think about the gift, I think the gift that being an artist, being an actor uh, has given me is just these experiences that are so tremendous, whether it's the experience of being at somewhere like a Comic-Con where it's, that's really a gift where you get to, to see these people excited about your work. And that's what we want. I mean, that's what I think that's exactly why we do what we do. Mm. So just, you know, the art and where it has taken us, it's just this, you know, from the places I've gotten to travel in the world to the things that I've gotten to do. And quite frankly, to the way, the, the places I've gotten to disappear into myself in have been amazing. That's yes, that is very true. I, I guess, I mean, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth. I, and I, I think I've heard that actors being not accused of, but people have posited the idea that it's a way of having therapy. It is a very therapeutic exercise to be able or to... Cism. Or yeah. cism. <laughs> <laughs> it's Therapy or narcissism. We have one of the two. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but to be honest, no, like, to be fair, I think the better analogy is that we're, we're kids. You know, we love to play... I, did you love playing make-believe as a kid? I remember playing make-believe as a kid. Um, you know, I don't know. You know? Oh, okay. Something to, okay. It wasn't, I don't remember being the kind of kid that had like my dolls and dressed them up and did stuff. And, you know, we were always the fantasy. I think, you know, mine has maybe a, a more sinister twist to it in that my young life was... Um, it wasn't the most peaceful existence. Mm -hmm. I had mm -hmm. you know, really troubled, you know, childhood. And, you know, I, maybe that, maybe my make-believe was really just um, surviving that. Mm -hmm. And maybe mm -hmm. that's where that all starts. It's interesting to look back and look at your life and say, well, why did I, or what was this? Or, yeah. you know, what were your, what were the things that you were saying to yourself? What were the conversations you were having with yourself then? Because I think we all do that where we, we, we find a way to make whatever's going on as okay as we can to transcend it, to move through it, to proceed. You know? Right. Right. That, so, 
I don't know, I guess my make believe was, was that. Yeah. Make it, make it okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, thank you very much for sharing that with me. I think that's a very, really important thing for people to hear. Um, okay. So moving on to something else, another, we're talking about monsters and playing monsters and enjoying <laughs> <laughs> playing monsters. Blade. That is an amazing opening sequence. That yeah. opening five, five, I suppose it's about five or eight minutes at the beginning of Blade. Um, I love that, your performance in that. Do you think they could have done more with your character in the film? Well, the, you know, originally I had auditioned for the lead in Blade. And, you know, they knew Boucher Wright got that role and I think she's fantastic at yeah. it. But they wanted to go a, a different way. I mean, obviously they, they you know, chose, she had a completely different presence and everything else. And Stephen Norrington, the director, had, the film was basically cast at that point. And Nebuchadnezzar, and I, I can't remember, there were a couple, I think there were like four of us that were down to the final, you know, um, cue for that. Right. And then I was asked, you know, there's this there's the role it's the opening of the film um and will you play Raquel and you know I I hadn't even really thought about that and you know I, I read about you know that she does she disintegrates basically and I thought if you're gonna die disintegrating is a really good way to do it and um it was really Stephen Norrington, the director, that I just thought his vision of that film was amazing. And I, I think that it's, I mean, that's my favorite Blade, not just because I'm in it, just mm. because it has, a, it has a pace and an energy, um, unlike any of the rest of the series, I think. And I wonder, I know, I mean, my opinion of it is that he, he directed with headphones on and music. He listened to techno music the entire time. He had a whole playlist. So he would see his actors and then you would see him and he would just going. And I'm telling you the way that he cut it and the, what he did and the whole, it was a, it was a beast of its own, that film. Mm -hmm. And he was incredible. I would love to work with him again. He was really amazing. And that, that opening, I think is one of the best openings in a film in, that I've seen. At this day, I'm like, wow, just the whole thing of taking him and the location was incredible. It was freezing cold. It was a meat house. I mean, the vegetarian and meat just like is totally repelled. But right. so I'm playing this beast in there and I lure him in and the freedom and it's freezing and, you know, all of this is going on. And then the, the rave goes off and it went on for days and days and days and days. Um you know, I often say that, you know, you're in trouble as an actor. If you show up on set and your trailer has been covered in plastic, like, <laughs> like it's a crime scene. Okay. And like, well, what's going on? What's this all for? And it was because it, you know, we would, we, it, 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 the, the scene took so long to do. There were so many pieces that they had built like a, almost like a hallway, it looked like, where when you, when you showed up in the morning, you would put on your, your costume and you would have to walk through this like tunnel, like a little hallway that they had built. And there were spritzers, like sprinklers, and it would douse you in the fake blood. That's how they did it. Because there's so many of us. It was like all of the extras, all of the people, and you would walk the hall and you would, it would spit you out literally on the other end and you would just be covered in this. My skin was pink. It was a hundred degrees. We filmed way in the deep in the valley. And it was, I would drive home two or three o'clock in the morning and I would think what would happen if I got pulled over by the police and how would I explain like what looked like blood under my fingernails and like pink skin from the, from the syrup from the, it was just, it was incredible. Yeah. So yeah, Raquel, I, her life was short, but she made an impact. Yeah, no, she really it's, did. Yeah, it's, it, I can't. You really just to open that film so beautifully. You know that brilliant, absolutely great. So now, then after it, Nick, I was up in Canada. That's when I did First Wave, and I got the script, the second script for Blade, and I was to play my twin sister, Raquel's twin sister. And so I would have been the lead in the second one. The film, it, the first draft came, 
And then it was like this big, how are we going to, what's going to, and then it just all went away. And I don't know if Stephen was involved in the second or not, or what happened, but the, the script was written. Um, the script was never made. And so I had an offer to do that. And then they were trying to figure out like logistics and I still had another six months on that show. And, and then it just all went away. And so it was kind of devastating. It was like, oh, so close. Yeah. I feel for you. I feel for you. I, there was a script for Hellraiser 3, and I remember sitting opposite the director, and he's saying, okay, Nick, you've read the script. Which part would you like to play? Okay. And then the next thing I knew, it was filmed in America. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not in this. Am I? <laughs> it's like, oh, these moments. Oh, these moments. Um, yeah. But so close. It's so close. Yeah. So close. Mm. Now, but I was very flattered mm. that that was even you know a thought yeah it, it didn't go anywhere but it was a thought yeah so. and and i can understand that because it, it is as i say you know that opening five to eight minutes it's just you are so impactful and it sets the movie it just in you know before mr snipes makes his entrance it really just sets the entire tone for the movie as far as i'm concerned it's mm -hmm. very good it's very good he, he um, was the perfect blade Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. So that's all right. <laughs> what? No. There was one film I really do want to talk to you about, particularly because I only saw it recently, um, and that's Excision. Oh, yeah. I love this film. I I am a huge, huge fan of this film, um, and this is I only saw it like a week or so ago. Now. What, what got you into this film? How was it offered to you? Excision came to me through my agent and I didn't know the director. It was a young director, filmmaker, uh, straight out of film school. I think he had, he had done the, the short of Excision. Um, I think it, he came out of NYU or one of those fancy schools and um, Richard Bates Jr. And he was, he was doing the, the, the long, so they sent long version, the full length. And so they sent me the, the film that he had done and the short, uh, which he had raised the money on or done whatever to, to get this going. And I read the script and I thought, wow. Um, and then I saw his short and I was really impressed with what he did. And I just, I was moved by, it's, it's a really, well, you saw it. It's a really, it's a really devastating film in that it deals with a family where the mother is so controlling, which is the part I played Phyllis. And I want the perfect family and I need for the world to see this perfect family. And I have two daughters and my, my prize joy, younger daughter is actually dying of cystic fibrosis. And that's devastating to me. And my older daughter that is, um, a complete like just weirdo she doesn't do anything the way that I, I mean everything that I want her to be a lady and make sure that you're this and you've got to be this and all of the, the 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 proper things for a young girl to act like she is completely the opposite of that and I think I'm somebody in the Phyllis is somebody that just really wants everything to be by the book I I, I married the right man, I had the right this, I have the right car, I have the, everything is just in its proper spot. And my life just implodes because my daughter won't go along with the program. And she's got all of these weird psychotic issues. And well, I don't want to give away what happens at the end. But it's really that, um, that power trip of when you hold on so tightly to what you think you life was going to be this way, and you keep trying to make it that way. And this is the way it is. And it just keeps going further and further and further out mm -hmm. of control. And then it mm -hmm. absolutely explodes. So I just thought, you know, as an actor, no one had ever really seen me do that before. And it was just a, a, a chance to both be vulnerable and controlling and like so many things at once. Otherwise, it would become just a one note performance. And I didn't want that. And I give a, a Richard a lot of credit for giving me um, so much room and allowing it to be as full as it was because he really let it travel and never doubted that. So it was pretty incredible. My interpretation of it, A, I wept at the end 
because I think the final shot wow. of you in that film is one of the most moving things I've seen because I think I think you're being um, you're not giving yourself enough credit. I'm sure there's a better way of phrasing this because I think you find depths in this character. I've, this is a woman who, for me, is a, is a mother who loves her daughters. I know she expresses this by everything has Poorly. to be perfect because yes. that's how you express love because that's the way I was brought up. Because the cotillion, I'd never heard of a cotillion before in this movie. Mm -hmm. and, the, and that's what proper ladies are like. And this is how you behave. And this is how you will be happy because I want my daughters to be happy. Mm -hmm. And I, th that last shot in the film, I was like, wow, I did not expect to have that. Now, the question I wanted to ask, you, you said you'd, you'd read the script, you'd seen the short film. On the page, was it as grisly and bizarre and gruesome as it is in, in the final? Was that there on the page? Or is that something that came in? the final film itself were you well, expecting it, it? Mm -hmm. no it was definitely on the page Richard wrote that right. it was right. it was on the page having said that he he was um so confident which I think is really amazing because it was a young filmmaker I mean this was his first full-length feature right. so I just I was so impressed by the fact that he was um, he was so sure of what his vision was that he let people play and move and go. And I think that there were a lot of elements that came into it, that he had that vision, he wrote it, but then he had the gift of Annalyn McCord, who's amazing in it, mm -hmm. um, because she, you absolutely buy her as this just nerdy, psychotic, wacky, disturbed kid. And then what, how she sees herself she's also so beautiful and sexy and all of these things. And so the duality of it, she just did it so well. And once again, Richard was really blessed to have the gift of of tremendous special effects department and tremendous makeup department. And this, the, just the, the, the designer was incredible. So for him, everything, uh, you know, I hate, I'm not certainly not trying to put words in his in his mouth, um, but I've heard him speak about this as well. I think it just all came together for him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I know, I know originally they did not end on that, on that frame that you're talking about. Um, but he, and he tells this story, he had shown it to um, various friends and he said, no, 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 you have to end on the mother because of what it was. And I think that that was such a great choice because it just, you know, the devastation of what that was is pretty, pretty yeah. tremendous. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, no, amazing. And if you haven't seen the film Excision, please go out and watch Excision. It's, it's an amazing film. Now, moving on from uh, feature <laughs> film work um, to a lot of actors are doing uh, short films uh, these days. And I'd like to, pick on one in particular and that's your 2018 you starred in a tale of two sisters mm -hmm. now was that a challenge to play such an unlovable character we've talked about playing monsters but a character who's mm -hmm. so unlovable a tale of two sisters that was a really challenging uh role for me mm. because she was it was more that than she wasn't she certainly was as you're saying i thought i thought anyway a very unlikable character um but she was also she was incredibly haunted mm. and she was somebody that had um really disappeared inside herself and i think that it was a really uncomfortable place for me to be as an actor so it was one of those performances where I felt like I would show up on set and I would start crying at the beginning of the day and I'd still be crying at the end of the day. And so it was like, all of that was, was me. It was, that's where she was emotionally there. You know, the hard part about doing, you know, this as a short 
um, that would have been different if it had actually been a full length film is there was no beginning, middle or end. It was, you, you ca catch the characters right it's all going down, <laughs> you know, mm. it's, it's mm. all happening. And, you know, our director, Chris Rowe, he, he wanted it very specifically. He had something in his mind that he wanted and he went to great, great lengths to make sure that it was authentically period. And the house had to be um, exactly right. And he wanted a certain color and he wanted, you know, a certain he was just very specific with all the details in in the short and so that was amazing because as an actor i knew exactly once again that's the best thing that anyone can give you is that you know exactly what they want because i feel a lot maybe you feel like this nick where you're you're trying to figure out what they're trying to tell you <laughs> and some directors are better at it than others and and i mean john waters for example always used to go you know like this and then he was classic he would never apologize about giving a line reading at all he would just become that character all of a sudden he was doing Wanda oh okay I know what you want now because he couldn't he wasn't necessarily that great at telling you like actor speak I, I call it he didn't know that um at least with me that that was just how he was he's very spontaneous that way Chris you know, does know actor speak and he mm. knew specifically what he wanted um and it was it was it was difficult for me to be that um, sloppy on film and that, you know, abrasive on film without, as you're saying, the audience knowing that, you know, I really was lovely at one point, but then I, I didn't get to show any of that. It's just, she's just there and yeah. she's really hard to bear. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I think again, what I like, and I think, I mean, I happen to know that the films racked up something like, 43 total yeah. awards you've mm -hmm. won at least five or six best actress mm -hmm. uh, awards for your part in this and i think there's one of things i think because she may not be an unlikable character but i think you as a person and you your skill yeah is yeah you know you succeeded as far as i'm concerned well, thank you for that. And I think that Chris succeeded beautifully. Um, some yeah. of the shots in the cinematography and Tell of Two Sisters, it very much reminds me of some of the Hitchcock stuff. We were talking about Psycho earlier. Like when she, when she mm. falls and, and the blood's going down the, uh, the drain in the bathtub. So it's just got, uh, and I think about the staircase, the spiral staircase and the, the big fall and just yeah. like some, I mean, it just, it really is so reminiscent of old noir Hollywood films. And that was amazing because I'd never gotten to play that before. So once again, something that was completely different. Yeah. Sorry, I keep losing my microphone, <laughs> my hair. <laughs> Personally, not a problem I ever have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm jealous. I'm very frankly jealous. Um, so one of the things, I, we're coming towards the end of our, our time together. And there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. You've got a, something that's due to start next year. And there's a project called The Farm. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about Belle Gunners? Um, cause she was really a horrible human being. Well, Belle, I auditioned for the role of Belle in quarantine, right at the beginning of quarantine. And we were supposed to be filming, I believe it was in June, uh, late April, was it May or June? There's a few months back. Um, and that was, so it was actually, I'm right about both. It was supposed to be earlier and then it got pushed to June and now it's been pushed to, um, April of 2021 because of the pandemic and everything going on. But, uh, Belle Gannis is, um, the, I think that the really tricky part about this one is that, you know, she's, she's, she's a legend, she's a myth, but we don't really know all the facts about, you know, why she did what she did, um, where she came from, the details. There's so many sort of half-truths and, you know, things about her. We don't really know what the reality of it is. So in speaking to the director about this, the script is just, you know, it's very, very strong. They've done a lot of research and they have their position on it. Um, so it's it's tricky for me because I, I need to go in there and obviously I'm working from this, the material that I have, but I have all these questions. So that's been a fun 
thing to research and it keeps changing because the more I dig, the more I find. And she, she's a bit of a, you know, a legend in, in a way. No one really knows what happened to her or why. So some of the stories I've had a lot of fun talking to find or, or just sort of interesting conversations. Let's put it that way with the director, Tom Logan, because some of the stories that she started in um, her, her parents, her family owned a circus and she was in this traveling circus. You have to remember this was set in like 1910, 1912. And she was a young girl and she was a tightrope walker and she was terrible at it. She had really big feet and she was clumsy. And she was, she was a, she was a large woman. She was, like very, very tall and not a dainty little thing. She was like six foot one, 200 pounds. She was a big presence. And so if you can imagine, even as a girl, she was extremely lanky and tall and she was terrible at this. And, and her father, you know, accused her of ruining the shows and people would demand their money back because she was terrible and she would fall. And then, so the, the stories go, he would beat her and legend has it that he was her first victim so Bell, um, you know, killed men and the father is said to have been the first victim of Bell. So maybe this sort of sets up why she, her psyche, why she, you know, I'm always looking for, you know, why did they do what they did? It's like being an investigator. What made this character this way? What happened to her? And her childhood was pretty pretty sad. And so I'm going to hang on to that. Um, And so when I first read the script, I said to my husband, I said, I don't know. I can't, I mean, because some of it's really gruesome. And I said, I don't know. He said, well, you don't have to just, just turn it down if you're not comfortable. And, and, and then about three days later, I had said to, to Chris Rowe, our manager, um, I'm not ready to audition for this. I just, I can't find this role in myself. I don't know what to do with this. And I feel like I'm judging the character, like all of those things. And then about three days later, I, I, I I go to Jeff and my husband and I say, I think I understand why she does. And he goes, Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. Um, but anyway, so Belle would, she would put these, uh, like, what did they call them back in the day? 1910, like uh, looking for love. What would they call them, Nick? Like ads. Oh, ads, uh, lonely hearts. Lonely hearts. Thank you. So she would write lonely heart letters and say like only widow looking for wealthy suitor to combine fortunes. And that's how she, she would, these men would, they all fell in love with her and she she would lure them to her farm and they would, you know, have these, they would write, have these long relationships via pen pals and they would finally come to see her and she would um, ask them to get insurance before they came um, to just protect their interests or whatever. And they were supposed to have this courtship and be married. And they would come to visit her in Indiana on her farm where, where she actually lived. And they would just end up missing. And so over the years, this happened. And, you know, the, the film climaxes and you see that um, all the bodies that were buried different places on the farm. And she did some really horrible things she did and she would take the money and it was um she was very wealthy and she was very tortured and she like had a lot of issues let's put it that way right Right. (laughs) not sure i'm gonna want to watch this one (laughs) it's not worse than hellraiser (laughs) i yeah you're you're right yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's different when you're on the inside of the mask looking out rather than yeah um, there's some there's some really interesting shots in it and i love that it's just this vast farmland and now you know things have changed so much with filming they use drones and they use you know it used to be mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. can we can we afford a crane and are we going to get that big wide master now it's like so much of it's it's, it's going to be done like from helicopters to drones to it's pretty exciting and, and not huge drones either you know the, the, no independent yeah no it's absolutely extraordinary Okay. So I'm not sure what to expect from the mm. farm, other than I'm not the one, well, I'm the one that walks away, perhaps. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Spoilers, possibly, but we're not worried about that. 
Right, I'm just going to end the show with something I like to refer to as the luggage in the crypt. So I just like <laughs> this to end with. What? I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know, you're packing for your afterlife. And okay. what would you like to take? What film would you like to take with you? I'm packing for my afterlife. I don't know. If I think about packing for my afterlife, I would think that the first thing that I would want, the hope that I could take with me is, is peace of mind and my mm. sense of humor. It was, it was actually like um, one were granted some things from the, from the world as we know it. I would hope that I would be able to take a signature cocktail, perhaps like maybe a Hendrix gin tonic with some beverage herbs and a cucumber might be nice to have. For my journey right um i would think that i would want uh perhaps a, a very nice pair of silky pajamas perhaps <laughs> so then some loungewear would be a good thing um it would be nice to have some kind of like um an afterlife uh playlist right um i i think it would probably be uh, a playlist with things like um classical music um on it it might be nice to have a book of poetry um Any maya angelo could be good. Maya angelo okay okay <laughs> okay um yeah. and then i would think that you might need a weapon of some sort just in case there's some sort of a a dragon that you might need to slay on the ways and maybe there's a bridge yeah and i've heard that you know having a, a coin or a gift of some sort could be a good mm -hmm. thing depending upon what you believe so <laughs> pay the pheromone yeah yeah yes yes <laughs> <laughs> that's all i got nick <laughs> <laughs> those are really good answers you've actually covered my look because my, my normal list is film book musical album playlist favorite food favorite food i think we'll cut we'll take the cocktail for the favorite food now is there a visual art is there a piece of art that you would take with you? I think I'm going to have to take my green screen. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you can have anything. That's the perfect answer. I like that answer a lot. That's a brilliant <laughs> answer. That's a brilliant answer. Tracy, thank you so much. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to see you. Wow, that was so much fun. Is Tracy Lords not incredible? Next week on The Chattering Hour, I'm joined by New York Times best-selling author Daniel Krauss to discuss his recent collaboration with George A. Romero, The Living Dead, and his other works, including Troll Hunters and The Shape of Water. Join me then, and in the meantime, stay safe and well. The Chattering Hour is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Jared Friedrich and Amanda Rome West, composer Kevin McLeod.